Welcome into the wild and wacky edition of Main Street Sports Today, presented by Tennessee Orthopedic Alliance of Columbia. I'm Maurice Patton. That's Wade Neely coming to you from the Lee Company studios of our respective abodes. Right, Wade? Yes, sir. Good okay. to uh, be back uh, rock and rolling. And for me, at least, good to be back in Pulaski. Uh, even though we're not in Columbia, we're going to knock it out today. Should be a good one. It should be a good one. Yeah, we are going to catch up as we typically do on Wednesdays. We will have Joe Sullivan in the second hour to talk a little local college hoops. And um, I'll probably have to gig him again about MTSU's sudden surge. Just twist and, the knife a little bit. Yeah, just a little bit. Just just enough to remind him it's there. Exactly. And, um, you know, in the next segment, as we, again, as we usually do, we will be visiting with Heather Williams. You know, Chris and I talked earlier this week about the um, – amazing finish at Atlanta this past weekend and I'm sure Heather will have some insight on that as well as what's coming up on the NASCAR circuit so we will be checking in with her so um big day in terms of guests we had some big results last night and some a lot of a lot of stuff to talk about we will also have Terry McCormick at the top of the hour with the Daily Titans report um, sponsored by Zen Sports um, as Terry gets back to town from Indianapolis. But the NFL Players Association put out its annual report card earlier today, and there's there's some stuff to talk about there. So we will talk with Terry about that at the top of the 3 o'clock hour as well. And um, some Major League Baseball movement or developments, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. Things continue to be wonky with the athletics. And that's just such a fascinating situation for me. I mean, clearly we are not in the Oakland market, um, but just watching all of that take place from a distance is just really wild. So um, no better time to talk about it than here on Wild and Wacky Wednesday, where we will also be bringing you the wildest and wackiest news from across the globe. Wade and I will find you some funny stuff. So Yes, uh, stick around for that because uh, the funny thing about Wild and Wacky Wednesday is you would think we would really, really have to scan to find some of these stories as crazy as they are, but we, we really don't have to look that, uh, that hard. Sometimes they just come right to us and some uh, are just truly unbelievable every week. Without question, yeah. I mean, I guess it's the the wonder of the internet and the wonder of social media because, like you said, some of this stuff just smacks you right in the face, man. So um, looking forward to getting to that in the final segment of the day. But um, right now, as we usually do about this time, we are going to give you yesterday's results and today's schedule on The Rundown. This is The Rundown. All right, boys and girls, we begin. These are high school basketball results last night from boys basketball action. We kick it off. It was Beach with a 41-25 win over Hendersonville. A very low-scoring affair goes in favor of Laverne, 32-24 over Blackman. Chester County, a 60-41 winner versus Fairview. Brentwood, 58. Columbia, 38 from last night. Cookville, 65-45, a winner versus Siegel. Creekwood edged Jackson Southside 56 to 35. At the buzzer, essentially, it was Eagle of 51, Eagleville 51, Richland 48, Hillsboro on top of Green Hill by the count of 56 to 38. 
Hume Fogg wins it by three, 47-44 over MLK. Independence wins it 60-51 to versus Franklin. Gordonsville on top of Joe Burns last night, 60-49. to Cannon County also at the buzzer last night, a 58-55 win at Loretto. East Nashville wins 59-53 versus Pearl Cone. Chalk one up for Clarks, or excuse me, for Rossview over Clarksville, 56-43. Santa Fe took care of Fayetteville in a uh, real runaway by the end of it. It was 73-44, to big win for the Wildcats there. Dixon County uh, knocking off Springfield, 71-50. to It was Portland, 52, Station Camp, 49. Mount Pleasant puts up 69 points, just 50 for Summertown. Good win uh, for Mount Pleasant as they continue their postseason march there. A game that I was at, it came down to the buzzer, and it was a wild one last night. Indeed, it was Lawrence County 43, Tullahoma 41. Wayne County wins it last night, 43-39 to over Houston County. White House Heritage took care of Liberty Creek, 62-43. to And a lot of points. You asked for points yesterday, Mo. They were all in uh, the Whites Creek Lead Academy game as Whites Creek put up <laughs> 93 to just 70 in the win there for Whites Creek. Good win there last night. Some bonus scores in men's basketball action. It was 85 to 82. How about the Vanderbilt Commodores knocking off Arkansas uh, last night? Good win for Coach Stack and the bunch there. And a game that was played at 9 a.m. this morning. I was still wiping the uh, cobwebs out of my eyes when UT Southern tipped it off versus Bruton Parker. That is the opening round of the Southern States Athletic Conference Championship, and Bruton Parker wins it 68 to 57 and more on this in a moment but last night on the ice the preds the nashville predators with another win they're staying hot and they win it four to one versus the senators girls basketball action tonight these are region championship games both contestants will move into saturday sectional play winners will host losers will travel beach plays hendersonville cheatham county plays hunt uh huntington excuse me summertown is at loretto Station Camp and Macon County face off, as do Eagleville and Moore County. Blackman is at Oakland. East Nashville is at Pearl Cone. And Clarksville is at Rossview. All of those times are 7 o'clock for those girls' basketball region championship games. And again, both teams in each situation will play on Saturday. It's a question of whether they play at home or load up. Um, men's basketball tonight. Huge, huge tilt in Knoxville as Tennessee takes on visiting Auburn. That's a 6 o'clock tip. You can see it on the Deuce ESPN 2. 7 o'clock Eastern Kentucky is at Austin P in an old Ohio Valley Conference game, but now a sun. Also, Bellarmine is at Allen Arena taking on Lipscomb. And in the Valley, the Missouri Valley, Belmont goes to Murray State. Again, all three of those games are 7 o'clock starts. Also at 7 the Memphis Grizzlies are on the road taking on the Minnesota Timberwolves. You can see it on Valley Sports South, and that is your rundown. Top story, as always, brought to you by Piggly Wiggly over in Neely's Mill here in Columbia. Be sure and check out their delicious daily deli lunch options as well as their hand-cut meats and everything. is cost plus 10% at the register. So, again, Piggly Wiggly, Neely's Mill, Columbia, bringing you our top story. And as Wade said, the Nashville Predators, we were um, disparaging them a couple of weeks ago. 
I don't know if they heard it or not, but they are not to be disparaged right now. Roman Yossi had a pair of goals and an assist last night as the Preds returned to Bridgestone Arena and extended their win streak to six games by defeating Ottawa 4-1. to um, It's crazy how this team has just kind of turned things around now. I mean, six games and an 82-game schedule, take it for what it's worth maybe, but they're certainly playing better than they had and um, built on a five game road trip, five win road trip, the best in franchise history. Um, UC Soros, 24 saves in the win. Um, I don't know what more you could ask for from this team right now. No, they are playing at a, uh, just an insane clip right now. Six straight wins. That's tied for the best streak in the NHL alongside the Detroit Red Wings. And at least according to uh, moneypuck.com, which is a great name for a website, by the way, uh, moneypuck.com, Mo, currently says the Preds, they got about a 66% chance to make the playoffs, kind of using their advanced odds. And this is a team that just a couple of, I guess, weeks ago, but it really uh, feels like it was even shorter than that. Mm -hmm. It it seems like a lot of folks, including uh, myself and some others, had kind of wrote these guys off that they were uh, left for dead. They'd be kind of toiling uh, kind of in that mediocrity zone where you're probably not going to make the playoffs, but you're not going to get a top pick. And here they right. are with 68 points, uh, 33 wins on the season. And they, as I've said, got the second uh, tied for the longest streak in the NHL right now with six straight wins. These guys are absolutely on fire at the moment. Absolutely. Gus Nyquist had a goal and a pair of assists, and Michael McCarron also scored, again, UC Soros 24 saves in the 4-1 to Predators win over visiting Ottawa. They return to the ice tomorrow against visiting Minnesota. So, um, you know, if six is good, seven's better, right? Seven would be better indeed. And, uh, you know, they come in, they do have the Wild coming to town, which is always uh, a, a fun matchup. Um, considering some trade history over the years between those two franchises. But that's a team that's also kind of uh, in the hunt, if it were as you were, for playoff contention. So that's a game that Nashville does uh, need to win. And the way that they've gone lately, it would kind of feel uh, like a bad loss at this point for Nashville. So you hope they pick that one up. Saturday, they do have the Avalanche coming to town, which could maybe potentially be one that, you know, kind of ends this potential run. But if they can get by the avalanche, then all of a sudden you know, you're talking about thinking about a close to a double-digit game win streak at the best time of the season, which we've said many times on this show, Mo. It's not about uh, what you do maybe early in the season. It's about getting hot at the right time, and it seems like these guys are definitely doing that. Absolutely. A little extra motivation for that Thursday night game. Guess who the Minnesota Wilds coach is? John Hines. <laughs> hit, me, uh, hit me with it one time, uh, Mo, as uh, – they won't have any trouble getting up for that one, and especially, like we said, with them kind of chasing them in the standings. Uh, you want to talk about – it's fun, too. When when Bridgestone – when the Preds are playing well, Bridgestone is a crazy, crazy environment. When they're not playing well, it's, it's not a, really a fun place to be. But when they are clicking and when they are rolling like they are right now, that is going to be an epic game coming up tomorrow night. Should be a lot of fun. Um, top story number two, and it kind of broke – Uh, As we were getting prepared for the show and getting ready to get on the air, I don't know what you will call the stadium where the football team in Washington plays its games, 
but you won't call it FedEx Field. The um, courier service has ended its naming rights agreement with the commanders, um, according to the Associated Press in a report earlier today. The um, stadium in Landover, Maryland, had been known as FedEx Field since 1999. Their agreement was to expire in 2026, and apparently FedEx has chosen to end it a little early. Um, we continuously review our marketing programs to ensure our investments are aligned with our evolving business objectives. As part of this review, we have decided not to continue as the naming rights sponsor of FedEx Field as we focus on our broader NFL sponsorship and opportunities that reflect our global footprint. Interesting. Yeah, I'm, I'm sitting there reading that quote and uh, listening to you uh, run it back to me, and I'm thinking FedEx is kind of going with the old school. You know, we got bigger fish to fry. Um, and and in going with, we have bigger fish to fry. I mean, that's that's all well and good, but as I was reading that, Wade, I was thinking, okay. What does this mean for a certain basketball facility in a certain town in West Tennessee? Yeah, uh, you know that's that's something that if if FedEx is really that's exactly what it comes down to, I guess. Right? Is this kind of a bad taste in the mouth uh, with their relationship with the franchise there in Washington, or is this kind of uh, an approach? Or is, is, uh, as, as is there saying, actually yeah. some truth to that <laughs> statement? Right. Yeah, yeah. Something something is uh, a little amiss there. And you're right. If they were to somehow just strip the uh, rights over uh, at the basketball arena there in Memphis, then I guess you got your answer. Um, because upon first glance, you kind of want to take them at face value and, and say, okay, all right, we, we get where you're going with this NFL sponsorship. But mm -hmm. uh, you make a great point when you say, hey, uh, don't forget, you kind of got another centerpiece over there in Memphis as well. Now, now, obviously, there are two different situations. FedEx is headquartered in Memphis. Fred, Fred Smith is from Memphis. Um, maybe, maybe you feel a little bit more civically oriented in Memphis than you do in, you know, the um, what? What do they? How do they refer to the the DVM, DMV? You know, DC, Maryland, Virginia. Maybe mm -hmm. you aren't as motivated to make a move for the civic good in the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area as you are in your hometown. So maybe there's a difference there. Um, I'm not sure how much of a stake, if any, Fred Smith and FedEx have in the Grizzlies, but he was a one-time part owner of the, um, the team. Uh, I guess he was bought out three years ago. So... Um, I think, though, that that's something that's worth keeping an eye on. Yeah, and, uh, you know, you make a great point when uh, when you bring up the Memphis connection there. And I'm kind of like you. I want to give a little bit of uh, benefit of the doubt with the hometown uh, civic kind of angle to it. Um, but we shall see. And as, as we kind of dig deeper into the story, to me, it then also kind of comes across as a little bit of I don't, want, I don't know if sour grapes is the right term, but it's almost as if, you know what, well, if we're not going to really be involved with this franchise, uh, we're not going to be involved at all. Yeah, yeah. And uh, with with their, um, you know, kind of some 
Seems like they're in a perpetual state of a stadium question also up there with, with that franchise. And just seems like this is kind of another layer of that uncertainty uh, because it just seems like even when they got this stadium, it just felt like it wasn't kind of ever truly like a, a real, real long-term permanent home. And, and, you know, we see this now every, seems like every franchise is somehow angling for a new stadium uh, right now. And I wouldn't be surprised if FedEx kind of pops back up again. And, and this statement kind of maybe falls on deaf ears by the end of it. Yeah. Um, just yesterday, the commanders announced $75 million in renovations to the stadium formerly known as FedEx Field, including upgrades to the sound system, escalators and elevators, water and mechanical systems, and other infrastructure improvements, according to this report on the Associated Press's website. There was no hot water in the home and visiting locker room showers after a game late last season, and in previous years, the stadium had pipe leaks and other problems that made it a butt of league-wide jokes. So, I mean... Maybe you just don't want to be associated with that. Yeah, you know, hey, you know what, guys? If your stadium's not even going to have hot water for the guys to uh, to shower after the games, and you got leaks, and eh, maybe maybe we don't want anything to do with you guys after all. Uh, you know, <laughs> didn't know it had gotten that bad. Uh, I'd heard you know the long running jokes about the stadium not being great, but man, uh, that's that's tough when you got, got tight leaks going on. There's a difference in not great and bad. And yep. when you're talking about not having hot water in the showers for football teams, that that's getting bad. Um, we mentioned the NFLPA's annual report card that was released earlier today. The commanders ranked last among mm. the NFL's 32 teams overall. Mm. And among those issues were complaints about the locker room at the stadium formerly known as FedEx Field and at the team's training facility in Ashburn, Virginia as well. So the commanders got issues. Yeah, little did they know uh the name change uh and branding aspect would maybe be uh just one step in a, in, a, in a lot of problems that they had going on. And you wonder, man, when, when you've got that kind of stuff going on, I mean, obviously those naming rights carry a pretty hefty chunk of change with them. When you've got all this going on, how do you go out and solicit prospective naming rights partners for, for a facility that's in this type of shape? Yeah, I mean, who's rushing to slap their name on on the field uh, or the stadium that's known for having leaky pipes and running out of hot water for the guys to shower after the game. I mean, uh, and the officials and whatnot. So uh, I don't think Main Street Media is just running out to uh, put our name on it uh, at that point. So that'd be an interesting conversation. You know, I might, uh, we could pr approach uh, owner Dave Gould about that, but I feel like he probably wouldn't want to be associated with a, a stadium of that's got those problems going on. I, I would not think. I would not think. Yeah. Um, very interesting. Interesting stuff to say the least. Hey, um, when we come back to the Lee Company studios here on Main Street Sports today, presented by Tennessee Orthopedic Alliance of Columbia, we will be joined by our NASCAR analyst. Heather Williams of WCYB-TV up in Johnson City will join us to impart some wisdom, as she always does. So stay with us. Soak up some of that wisdom when we come back after this break.
Whether you're an athlete or a weekend warrior, when it comes to your performance, don't settle for anything less than excellence. We're proud to announce that Mid-Tennessee Bone and Joint Clinic is now Tennessee Orthopedic Alliance of Columbia, where we are redefining sports medicine and orthopedics. Tennessee Orthopedic Alliance's team of expert sports medicine physicians understands the unique demands of your body. TOA Columbia specializes in personalized orthopedic care, offering state-of-the-art treatments for everything from sports injuries to joint replacements. Learn more at toacolumbia.com. Custom Stone Handler supplies over 600 distributors and suppliers with quality stone products. Along with River Stone, we produce and distribute over 100 building, landscape, and other bulk products. Our goal is to provide quality products, service, and partnerships to ensure our customers' success. We firmly believe that the measure of any person or company is how they treat other people and customers. Give them a call at 931-490-4990 or visit customstonehandlers.com. Your favorite wine tasting experience is back. The Hendersonville Rotary Club's Wine and Roses Fundraising Gala. Everything you loved and more. Saturday, March the 2nd. Prepare your taste buds for elegant wines, smooth whiskeys, craft beers, and exceptional food. Browse through the silent auction. All to benefit over 25 local charities, schools, and scholarships. Wine and Roses. Saturday, March the 2nd at Our Lady of the Lake Catholic Church, Hendersonville. HendersonvilleRotary.org. A game without a crowd is just a scrimmage. A performance without an audience is just a rehearsal. Without your presence, high school sports and the performing arts aren't possible. Ensure that these essential extracurricular activities continue to enrich the lives of students in Tennessee. Purchase a ticket to your local high school's game or performance. This message presented by the TSSAA. With Lee Company Technology, the best handymen are hands-off. Lee Company Techs have been using visual findings and other smart technology tools for years to add transparency and virtually take customers along. You see what we see, whether we're in a crawl space or on a roof. With Lee Company, technology helps us help you, no matter what's happening in the world or at your house. Piggly Wiggly, located in Neely's Mill Shopping Center, is Columbia's locally owned and operated Cost Plus 10 grocery store dedicated to serving the community with low prices and smiling faces. Piggly Wiggly offers fresh, hand-cut meats daily as well as daily hot plate lunches from their deli counter. You're certain to see smiling faces and a helping hand when you're here at Piggly Wiggly. Come by and check out our fresh produce, high-quality meats, and more. Down home, down the street, we'll see you at the Pig. We thrive under the lights. A city of performers. Putting on one heck of a show. Headlining night after night. Welcome to Smashville.
Welcome back to the Wild and Wacky edition of Main Street Sports Today, presented by Tennessee Orthopedic Alliance of Columbia. There we go. Wade Neely, Maurice Patton, and we now have joining us the queen of NASCAR, Heather Williams. What's up, guys? How are you? Um, It's rainy, wet, and I'm running around in the greater Johnson City area, but otherwise, well, how about you guys? Yeah, oh, we're good. We're good. Um, we are. It's not. It's not raining right now. Subject to change without prior notice. But um, Heather, um, Chris and I talked Monday about Atlanta, and you know I'm not a huge NASCAR fan. Chris has a lot more institutional knowledge about that than I do. But the three wide finish was definitely unique, was it not? Uh, incredible. I've seen a lot of, I've, I've seen the two races that are tied for the closest finish ever, one of them in person. And, um, to see two cars in a photo finish is incredible, but to see three cars in the photo finish, as I was watching in my apartment, first of all, I gasped <laughs> like audibly, but also not knowing who won. Right, because you look at it from different TV angles because, you know, NASCAR has their official camera on the start-finish line, but the TV angles are not necessarily right on the start-finish line. You looked at one angle and you thought somebody won. You looked at another angle, you thought somebody else won. Um, it was crazy. It, it was, it, But it was just what the sport needed from the aspect of you're really starting to see the TV numbers and the attendance numbers come back up post-COVID. Um, the Netflix documentary had a lot to do with that. And to now have these two incredible races out of the box for new NASCAR fans, I think has been really important for the sport. And, you know, um, we are nothing if not track house fans. So it was great to see Daniel Suarez once the smoke cleared and they figured out who won in the victory circle. Yeah. And Daniel needed that, right? He had admittedly a disappointing season last year. Ross made the playoffs, but Daniel did not. Daniel did not win a race last year. Ross won the couple. Um, so he he needed this, you know, for him. And he has not really been known as a super speedway type racer. His strength has really been the mile and a half and the um, road courses. So for him to get this win, I think, is paramount for him and that race team and really showing that two years ago was not a fluke and that he's a guy that can compete for championships and be a and be a playoff driver. Heather, with uh, Daniel kind of just getting mentioned there, um, I know so much of uh, the sport goes into the car and the team and and the kind of behind-the-scenes work uh, leading up to the race. But from a driver's standpoint, how much of a factor is, I guess, momentum and, and what can this maybe do for Daniel for the rest of the season after, like you said, kind of a, a tough go of it last year? Well, it does everything for him, especially winning so early in the year, because he knows, unless we have 17 different winners, more than likely he's already in the playoffs. So mm-hmm. he can do, you know, he can take risks. That never happens, right, know. Heather? Oh, oh, I mean, it, 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 we've gotten to, we've gotten to 15, but we have not gotten to 17. So <laughs> not in the playoff era. So it probably will not happen, although you never say never. But they can take risks and go for wins and do things that they might not normally do. Mm. And, you know, if you get a win like that or a couple of wins like that, 
you know, then that starts into the confidence thing. And then all of a sudden, I think you saw that um, last year in William Byron, right? They got a win very early on in the season. They were able to take some risks. They want some more wins, some more wins. And then all of a sudden, now he's one of the top drivers in the garage where nobody thought of him like that before. And so I think that there's the possibility with Daniel to gain some confidence, even not with wins, with just more consistent finishes, which is what that team really needs. Big weekend for Trackhouse with Ross Chastain finishing seventh. So you got a couple of top ten finishes for that team, um, which I don't know that they've had two top tens, have they? They have, but it's been a while. It was a couple of years ago when 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 Daniel was running more consistently. You know, that's what's really been missing for for that is Daniel's consistency. But um, two years ago, they were they were quite frequently both top ten and definitely do, uh, top fifteen. But it, it's been a while. Suarez, Ryan Blaney, Kyle Busch, one, two, three, followed by Cindric, Bubba Wallace at five, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., Chastain, Michael McDowell, Chris Busher, and Ty Gibbs rounding out the top ten in Atlanta this past weekend. You know, besides the photo finish, Heather, what kind of caught your attention out of Atlanta? Well, maybe not the guys that finished up top, which, you know, there's all your your – usual suspects super speedway racing wise up there bubba ty gibbs uh kyle bush those are all guys that run pretty well on the super speedways but um the guys that are not up there bad luck for denny hamlin in back-to-back weeks he's currently i mean we're two races into into 36 so i wouldn't get too excited about this but he's currently on the outside looking in on the playoff picture um couple of teams hit with huge penalties coming out of this race. First of all, uh, $10,000 fine for Joey Logano for his webbed gloves. I don't know if you've seen this, but uh, Google it on tw- or look it up on Twitter. During qualifying, he had webbing like a catchersmith almost on his glove to help block the air during qualifying to make his car go faster. And he got caught on the in- in-car camera. So he was fined $10,000 for that. Those shenanigans and sent to the back of the field. And then the biggest one is is the uh, the points penalties for two Stuart Haas racing cars in Noah Gregson and Ryan Priest, 35 points each for them. Noah Gregson now has negative six points on the year and Ryan Priest has zero points on the year. So those are huge penalties for those two teams right out of the gate. Two teams that previous this year struggled a little bit. So they were already working you know, behind the eight ball and now they have to to dig out of these huge penalties. So I'm intrigued, Heather. A couple of folks got points penalties. Logano got bucks penalty. You know, as a as a driver, which would you rather avoid? Oh, you don't want the points penalties. That's kind of what I figured. So yeah, give me the give me the money all day. But the difference is is that Logano's was during qualifying and didn't really. I mean, and he was penalized pre-race by sent, being sent to the back. And it kind of ruined his day, so it was almost like a points penalty. Um, but um, yeah, but give me those, give me the, that money all day long. This is interesting. I did Google it as you instructed me, and Denny Hamlin says that um, Logano's penalty was result of snitches from another team. And yes, you know, he it's... did say that on his podcast. <laughs> he you, said you... that everybody in the garage is a snitch. You know what snitches get, right? <laughs> but I mean, well, they don't get points penalties. Yeah, clearly, but I mean, if it's a 
if it can create an advantage, wouldn't you want that person to get caught? Or is this an honor among thieves kind of thing that, that Denny is lamenting the lack of? Oh, no, he wants people to get caught. He's just saying he's because he goes on to say in his thing that this was a really dumb thing because there are so many stitches and everybody knows that people are going to tell and that the, the risk, risk reward isn't there on this. But, um, I, you know, it was look, it was super smart. Like when I saw that, I was like, that's. Did we lose Heather? I think we lost Heather right when she was getting to the right meat of the story there. Good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I hate that. Um, Mark, if you would effort to get Heather back on so she can pick up where she left off because, um, that was, that was getting interesting. I'm clearly not well versed enough in NASCAR to know about web gloves and <laughs> the advantages that come with them. So, that's... I do I do love uh, a quote from who's it Parker or Kligerman who told Road and Track uh, kind of furthering this topic here said drivers will attempt just about anything to gain a competitive advantage. Drivers are simple, he says. <laughs> if you told us that wearing underwear on our head would gain us a tenth, uh, we everybody would be wearing underwear on their head. So uh, I kind of get that, and it kind of makes me wonder. Like like I guess maybe Heather was going. If everybody kind of talks and you know that word is going to get back out, why do you almost even risk it uh, knowing that you're probably going to get the Bucks penalty, like you said, but then also, as we saw during qualifying, you're going to get sent to the back and pretty much kind of ruin your day before you even get started. Yeah, yeah. Um, Catch Fence Chris Knight reported that the glove was altered in an attempt to gain a potential competitive advantage by sticking his hand out the window. Um, according to NASCAR rules, driver gloves cannot be modified and must have separate sections for each finger and thumb. Logano's gloves were stitched together in a web between the thumb and index finger, which was done to help him reduce drag when he put his hand up to his window. Hmm. So this is, this is something you did you went out of your way to do with a specific purpose in mind. That's wild. Um, yeah. And that's what, and that's kind of where I'm going is if you know that everybody's going to kind of get wind or, well, pardon me there with get wind. Uh, <laughs> Nicely done. If everybody's going to get wind of this, why even attempt it? Uh, you know, it's not as if you were probably going to get away with it. And I think we may uh, have Heather back with us here. I think we do. I hope we do, but I'm, 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 I'm reminded of the great philosopher Ladanian Tomlinson. If you ain't cheating, you ain't trying, right? And it Heather? sounds like yes, um, I'm here. Uh, and and <laughs> continue. I don't know if you know where you left off, but please continue what you were saying. Uh, I was just saying I was kind of sad that they got caught because I think it was a genius thing to try, right? Because. You're, you're trying to get every little bit of advantage that you want on a racetrack. And then, uh, you know, I did kind of disagree with Denny in the fact that I think the risk was worth the reward. They won the poll at the Daytona 500, the biggest race of the year. I would be stunned if they weren't pulling these shenanigans there as well. Um, so on that basis alone, I think it was worth the, the risk. But 
uh, I mean, this is what NASCAR is. It's been this a million years. You, uh, you try something that's a little bit of a gray area. You do it till you get caught, and then you don't do it again, and you go play around in another part of the sandbox where there's a little bit of a gray area. So, um, it is it is what it was. And I, Joey's a good enough driver. Unlike some of the other folks that got penalties this week, I think that team can overcome it. I don't think it'll be that big of a deal for them. Next up, Vegas. Yes. What what drivers would probably consider the the first true test of the year, the super speedway racing is such a unique animal, and there is uh, a bit of luck involved in that style of racing. So um, this is the first mile and a half, the kind of normal, first normal track of the year. So this is when drivers will really start to kind of figure out who has what. I think that guys like Kyle Busch and Bubba Wallace, Suarez with the win, Chastain with a couple of decent finishes, although better at Atlanta than he was at at Daytona, that kind of survived early. Um, If they're worth anything, then they're going to have a huge advantage at this point because there are a lot of guys, like we mentioned, Denny and, and Joey Logano playing catch up. So... This is kind of see what see what we got. Let's see what we got. Who's going to be the contenders this year? Uh, getting back on a more um, typical track this weekend. What what do you look for? Who do you look for this weekend? Well, it'll be interesting to see, kind of because both Toyota and we talked about this before the 500, but both Toyota and Ford have new new cars. So I don't really know how much of what people were last year will carry over, but the Toyotas were super strong in the miles and mile and a half last year. So you would think they would only get better with the new cars. Ford didn't really show a lot of speed necessarily in that style of track. So can they, do they have anything for the Toyotas? That's what I'm looking for mostly in this race. I think that the races like Vegas very much favor a Denny Hamlin, a Bubba Wallace, a Ross Chastain, a Kyle Larson is very good at Vegas. So, but there's just so much unknown with the two new cars. This is where we'll, this is where we'll find out who's going to be good this year and who's not. Wait, any other thoughts? No, I'm just excited. Uh, and Heather, you kind of did did a good breakdown there, and. I'm real curious uh, to see how this race plays out because so much of it is kind of track dependent. And you just made a great point when you said this is kind of the first real big super speedway test. Um, Any other unique kind of challenges or things to look for uh, in regards to kind of Vegas as a venue um, in terms of the track and, and peripheral? No, I mean, that's pretty your typical when you think of a mile and a half track. It's 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 pretty typical. It's not that much different. Um, than, say, Kansas or um, a Michigan. They all have their little unique aspects to them, but they're, they race pretty similar. From a fan experience, it is one of the best tracks on the circuit because they have 
the neon garage where fans can really go and be able to overlook race teams and see what they're doing and look inside garage stalls. They were really one of the first tracks to put those amenities in. And of course it's Vegas, man. So, I mean, <laughs> it has some built in cachet in and among it, you know, itself just because it is Vegas, but I think it's going to be a great race. It's going to be fun. The mile and a tra- half tracks are really, you know, so much more driver dependent than the last two tracks have been. That are more, a little more car dependent and a little more luck dependent. So, we're really going to see which drivers have been doing their homework in the off season. Vegas this weekend. Stay out west for Phoenix on the tenth, and then on St. Patrick's Day, it's yes. Bristol, baby. It is. We're, it might be anywhere from 80 degrees to snowing in 20. So, we'll, we'll you know, we've had both when we've raced in, raced in March in Bristol. So, I cannot believe it's so early this year. It's the same weekend as state basketball. So, you know, say, say a little extra prayer for me that we can uh, get all this done. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Heather, hang in there. We appreciate your time. Look forward to visiting with you next week um, so, at about this same time. Yeah, maybe one of these weeks I'll stop having phone issues and we can do a whole segment without me dropping out in the middle of it. Hey, well, I mean, it's early. Maybe we're, get, <laughs> maybe we're getting the kinks out of the way early on so that um, when stuff starts heating up, we'll, be, we'll have everything right. But, yeah, uh, three, hey, three DNFs to start the year is not good. I just view them as pit stops, Heather, so you're good in my book. So. <laughs> there, we go. there we go. Heather Williams of WCYB-TV in Johnson City joining us here on Main Street Sports Today, presented by Tennessee Orthopedic Alliance of Columbia. When we come back to the Lee Company Studios, going to talk a little Major League Baseball. Stay with us after the break. Live under the lights. The city of performers. Putting on one heck of a show. Headlining night after night. Welcome to Smashville. Whether you're an athlete or a weekend warrior, when it comes to your performance, don't settle for anything less than excellence. We're proud to announce that Mid-Tennessee Bone and Joint Clinic is now Tennessee Orthopedic Alliance of Columbia, where we are redefining sports medicine and orthopedics. Tennessee Orthopedic Alliance's team of expert sports medicine physicians understands the unique demands of your body. TOA Columbia specializes in personalized orthopedic care, offering state-of-the-art treatments for everything from sports injuries to joint replacements. Learn more at toacolumbia.com. Custom Stone Handler supplies over 600 distributors and suppliers with quality stone products. Along with River Stone, we produce and distribute over 100 building, landscape, and other bulk products. Our goal is to provide quality products, service, and partnerships to ensure our customers' success. We firmly believe that the measure of any person or company is how they treat other people and customers. Give them a call at 931-490-4990 or visit customstonehandlers.com. 
your favorite wine tasting experience is back. The Hendersonville Rotary Club's Wine and Roses Fundraising Gala. Everything you loved and more. Saturday, March the 2nd. Prepare your taste buds for elegant wines, smooth whiskeys, craft beers, and exceptional food. Browse through the silent auction. All to benefit over 25 local charities, schools, and scholarships. Wine and Roses. Saturday, March the 2nd at Our Lady of the Lake Catholic Church, Hendersonville. HendersonvilleRotary.org. A game without a crowd is just a scrimmage. A performance without an audience is just a rehearsal. Without your presence, high school sports and the performing arts aren't possible. Ensure that these essential extracurricular activities continue to enrich the lives of students in Tennessee. Purchase a ticket to your local high school's game or performance. This message presented by the TSSAA. With Lee Company Technology, the best handymen are hands-off. Lee Company Techs have been using visual findings and other smart technology tools for years to add transparency and virtually take customers along. You see what we see, whether we're in a crawl space or on a roof. With Lee Company, technology helps us help you, no matter what's happening in the world or at your house. Piggly Wiggly, located in Neely's Mill Shopping Center, is Columbia's locally owned and operated Cost Plus 10 grocery store dedicated to serving the community with low prices and smiling faces. Piggly Wiggly offers fresh, hand-cut meats daily as well as daily hot plate lunches from their deli counter. You're certain to see smiling faces and a helping hand when you're here at Piggly Wiggly. Come by and check out our fresh produce, high-quality meats, and more. Down home, down the street, we'll see you at the Pig. Wild and Wacky Wednesday here on Main Street Sports Today, presented by Tennessee Orthopedic Alliance of Columbia. That's Wade Neely. I'm Maurice Patton. Major League Baseball. We're in spring training. We are into actual games. Um, Not games that count just yet, but, you know, somebody was expressing to me at a basketball game last night their concern over the Braves giving up 13 runs to Pittsburgh. And, I mean... I understand, but it's February, so. Yep, we're in the weird time of the year where uh, I get all the notifications uh, on my phone from last season's notifications, and I have to go in and turn them all off because I don't necessarily care or need to know uh, that the Astros, yeah, gave up 17 runs to the Tigers or something in some random uh, early spring training game. So those are muted for now, but don't worry, they'll return. Yeah, I am – I've never felt the need to have notifications on for Brave scores because I'm probably going to go and seek it out if I'm not actually watching the game anyway. Mm-hmm. So, um, but no, I did not get notified of those 13 runs that Pittsburgh scored yesterday. So I was, I was a little taken aback, but at the same time, it is spring training. It's also spring training for the Oakland Athletics, who continue to have their trials and tribulations with regards to their owner and their supposedly impending move to Vegas. Um, You know, way typically teams will have a fan fest, kind of a celebration of, of their supporters and have team members and staff members and that kind of thing out at a central place. Um, Apparently 
the athletic administration decided not to do that this year. So the fans put their own fans fest on. <laughs> they, they celebrated themselves, um, raised about $40,000, and um, just had a big celebration of what is supposed to be the Oakland Baseball Club's last season in Oakland. Um, and apparently, while the owner, John Fisher, was not there physically, yeah. he was certainly there in spirit. There was one booth that had a, a life-size cutout of Fisher dressed as a clown. Um, so he is definitely under fire and continues to be so. Um, seems that there was a major beer sponsor that was supposed to be involved in the fans fest and suddenly pulled out three days ahead of it. Mm. Um, it's, it's thought that the team might've put some pressure on them to do so. So, you know, we've talked about how antagonistic this entire situation has become between the ownership of the team and the fan base of the team. And, and it's, you know, it's kind of tough. I mean, it feels like to me, if you're going to move the team, move the team, but you don't have to kick those folks on your way out of town. I don't get it. Yep. And uh, even last year or the last two years, really, uh, it's early June. There ain't much else going on. And I find myself, you know, browsing through MLB TV and I'll pop on the occasional A's game just for fun, obviously, especially if Houston's playing. Mm -hmm. And you know, they've been the butt of jokes for the last several years about the, the lack of attendance. And uh, those games are just interesting to watch from that perspective alone because the fans that are there are usually having a real good time. And then uh, when they actually do start winning some games, it, it makes it even more entertaining. But this year, uh, I'll probably have to tune into a few games just to see kind of what sort of – who knows what the response is going to be. You know, you could be looking at a situation where – uh, the team is winning games and you have fans, there. either nobody there or fans that are uh, booing, you know, which is obviously what you don't want to see. So uh, they will be an oddity in this year's MLB season, to say the least, from a fan perspective. And I will be tuning into a few of those late night games. Oh, it, it's definitely um, fascinating. It's definitely going to get your attention just to see. Like you said, what kind of crowds they've got? Uh, I feel like you're probably going to have more folks in the parking lots than you are in the seats, um, yep. because I think people still want to have that pregame and postgame experience with the tailgating and that kind of thing. So um, it's it's interesting. Meanwhile, speaking of John Fisher, the Oakland Athletics. Ownership has yet to secure their portion of the financing for the stadium that is proposed in Vegas. And whatever the ballpark is supposed to look like, renderings, there have been deadlines for renderings to be submitted and deadlines, plural, that have been missed. Yet, MLB Commissioner Rob Manfred calls the relocation plan solid according to a report by cbssports.com. So um, I think Las Vegas is solid. I really do. It was a little rough with the mayor, Clark County versus the city. But, you know, from my perspective, Las Vegas Mayor Carolyn Goodman was the first person who ever talked to me about baseball in Las Vegas. Now, if you recall, Carolyn Goodman is the same person that said mm -hmm. maybe Oakland needs to mend fences with Oakland and figure out a way to stay there. 
Manfred goes on and says, I understand all politics are local and the county is different than the city. But I think the governor and politicians in general in Las Vegas remain committed to the deal. I think the deal is going to happen. It's <laughs> I think the deal is going to happen, said MLB Commissioner Rob Manfred in February, almost March of 2024 of the A's final season in Oakland. I think the deal is going to happen. Well, that's just real reassuring, isn't it? <laughs> that's. Ooh. You know, we think we might have a deal for you guys to come to Vegas. Uh that that does not really inspire a lot of confidence. It doesn't uh, I don't know I don't know that it inspires any confidence at all. And again, already it's expected to be a 3-year lag between this season where mm-hmm. the team will finish up in Oakland and a new facility opening in Vegas in 2028. So Already 20, 25, 26, and 27, they've got to find someplace else to play. They're not sure if the financing is in place from an ownership standpoint, and the stadium renderings haven't been approved. So, um, you know, maybe in a few years we'll look back and things will somehow magically be smoothed over and everybody will kind of just forget about it. But right now, this looks like an all time just nightmare situation. You know, uh, nightmare for Oakland, nightmare for the fans, the ownership, nightmare for everybody in Vegas. I mean, it just seems like a horrific uh, situation. I think there's the least sympathy for the ownership, though. But, you know, yes. there's there's a saying this everything works itself out. But I just don't know that that is necessarily the case. And Manfred did admit that it would kind of be good to know where Oakland is going to be next year so that they can get a schedule together for next year. They typically have a preliminary schedule that is reviewed in the spring. And then the final schedule is released around the all-star break. And that's starting to get a little backed up because they don't know where they're going to be. Yeah. Not good. Hey, Mo, speaking of which, uh, we after we just talked about it, a notification, Houston has defeated Miami 6-1 to one in spring training. Uh, I've yet to disable my uh, notification. So at least for today, I'm glad I hadn't done it right now. So. <laughs> well, there you go. Timing is everything, right? Right, yeah. Let me. I know the Braves are playing. I'm not sure what time today. Um, and I remember vividly a couple of years ago. Uh, go ahead. It looks like you got some news there. Oh, it's it's interesting news. Braves Phillies tied at seven after nine. I don't know. Do they play extra innings in spring training? I would think not, in, in but... February spring training. Eh, I but, don't know. You know, this is the first weekend. I mean, I imagine they've got scripted who's going to pitch when and that kind of thing. And they probably don't have a script for more than nine innings. So they might be done. <laughs> yeah. Over and, in Clearwater. Yeah, just go ahead and you know what we get to nine innings, we'll flip a coin, we'll do something. We're just we're we're done playing at this point. I, I, I don't know that anybody's trying to win any spring training championships anyway. So mm-hmm. you know, we'll just shut it down. Y'all go back to your clubhouse. We'll go back to where we go, and we'll try again tomorrow. Not, not the Braves or Phillies, at least. There might be some other. The A's might be uh, potentially okay with winning a spring pr- training championship, but yeah, we. Braves and Phillies feel like they got bigger fish to fry, and at least uh-huh. one of them does. So we'll see. Um, real quick here before we go to the break, 
Jim Bowden of The Athletic has an article up, five MLB managers on the hot seat to start the 2024 season. Um, Toronto's John Schneider, who, if you had held a gun to my head and asked me who Toronto's manager was, I would not have been able to tell you. Same. Yeah. Um, Oliver Marmol of the Cardinals is number two, and I'm, I'm still not sure how he got through last year, to be honest, but yeah. Um, Pirates manager Derek Shelton going into his fifth year, and, you know, they got off to a great start last year and then yep. really fizzled down the stretch. I'm sure it didn't hurt that O'Neill Cruz got hurt there, their great young shortstop, as well as third base, third baseman Key Brian Hayes. So if they can keep some guys healthy, I think he'll be okay. But we'll see. Bud Black of the Rockies might have to get Thomas Harding back on to kind of discuss that a little bit. But Colorado has not had a winning season since 2018. It's a long time. Yeah, that kind of boggles my mind. I feel like they've been decent enough over the last couple of years, but I guess not. The NOS has been tough, though, too. That's yeah, so. a great point. Yeah. Tough division. And Pedro Grafal of the White Sox, second-year White Sox manager, Pedro Grafal. And as Bowden himself says, this is only Grafal's second season as a manager, and I don't think he deserves to be on the hot seat, but his rookie season was a nightmare. With culture problems in the clubhouse, a poor defensive team, and adversity around every corner, finished a dismal 61 and 101. Um, and probably adding to that was the the lack of success that Tim Anderson had, yeah. both both at the plate, in the field, and um, in the boxing realm as well. But he's in Miami now, and. We'll see how that goes for him and for the White Sox as well. But, yeah, those are some guys and some seats to watch as we edge toward the start of the 2024 baseball season. So. Yeah, never good when you're on the hot seat before the season even begins. Yeah, yeah. that's um In a, in a season that's 162 games long and you're already on the hot seat before we even played the first one. Yep. I mean, we, we don't play games for real for – Roughly another month, but you you're already being second guessed on everything. So that's that's going to be fun. It's interesting. Um, Bowden has challenges and overturns in each of these breakdowns for these guys. Um, Blue Jays, Snyder, especially. Yes, yeah, Snyder challenged seventy six umpire calls and had twenty seven overturned. A thirty five point five percent success rate that's the worst among returning managers that's that's wild uh, i guess i shouldn't be surprised that people keep up with that but still it's um that's kind of crazy i saw that mentioned with um Grafal as well um 40 challenges 16 overturned 40 percent success rate so basically what he's saying is you are you are throwing the red, red flag with no real reason in a lot of instances. And that's yeah, and baseball, obviously, uh, you know, balls and strikes notwithstanding, uh, so much of that is just pretty objective, right? And so you if, you're, think, if you're blowing a lot of those calls, I mean, what are you really doing at that point? You well, should have a pretty high success rate. Well, and what else are you blowing? Yeah. Yeah, yeah if you're getting the, the clear-cut things wrong, yeah, you're exactly right. What else is kind of getting left to the side? Yeah. So, um, 
Hey, when we come back for the second hour of Main Street Sports today, presented by Tennessee Orthopedic Alliance of Columbia, we will have Titan insider Terry McCormick and the top of the hour Titans report powered by Zen Sports. Stay with us when we come back. Welcome to Protein Snack Shop, your destination for healthy and delicious low-carb snacks. Our specialty lies in providing protein-packed desserts that are perfect for those following a keto diet. Our products are made with high-quality ingredients, ensuring that you can satisfy your cravings without compromising your health goals. From a variety of flavors and options to choose from, you can enjoy guilt-free snacking while staying on track with your fitness journey. Don't miss out on our limited-time offer. Discover Protein Snack Shop today. Whether you're an athlete or a weekend warrior, when it comes to your performance, don't settle for anything less than excellence. We're proud to announce that Mid-Tennessee Bone and Joint Clinic is now Tennessee Orthopedic Alliance of Columbia, where we are redefining sports medicine and orthopedics. Tennessee Orthopedic Alliance's team of expert sports medicine physicians understands the unique demands of your body. TOA Columbia specializes in personalized orthopedic care, offering state-of-the-art treatments for everything from sports injuries to joint replacements. Learn more at toacolumbia.com. Your favorite wine tasting experience is back. The Hendersonville Rotary Club's Wine and Roses Fundraising Gala. Everything you loved and more. Saturday, March the 2nd. Prepare your taste buds for elegant wines, smooth whiskeys, craft beers, and exceptional food. Browse through the silent auction. All to benefit over 25 local charities, schools, and scholarships. Wine and Roses. Saturday, March the 2nd at Our Lady of the Lake Catholic Church, Hendersonville. HendersonvilleRotary.org. We thrive under the lights. A city of performers. Putting on one heck of a show. Headlining night after night. Welcome to Smashville. Welcome back to the second hour of Wild and Wacky Wednesday here on Main Street Sports Today, presented by Tennessee Orthopedic Alliance of Columbia. Yes, sir. Wade Neely, Maurice Patton, and it is now time for... Terry McCormick with our daily Titans update, powered by Zen Sports. Terry, good afternoon. How are you, Mo? I tell you, it is Daily Titans Report, brought to you as always by the folks at Zen Sports. Uh, stuff still going on at the NFL Combine, prospects still being evaluated, uh, all those sorts of things that go on up there in Indianapolis uh, as position groups begin to filter through, not only for workouts, but also for interviews with teams. So certainly uh, an interesting time of the year for those guys and for the teams evaluating uh, the prospects that are available. Terry, I know you went up um, yesterday to get some FaceTime with um, Brian Callahan and with Rand Carth- uh, Carthon, but have you actually been to the combine before? Oh yeah, I've been, I go pretty much every year 
for at least that one day where the Titans make their people available. There have been years in the past where, you know, I would stay for the whole week and evaluate prospects, you know, or not evaluate prospects, but talk to prospects, Mm -hmm. you know, that uh, are made available to the media and all that sort of thing. But uh, yeah, it's, it's something I've done, you know, quite a bit over the years in terms of making that trip up to Indy to see what's going on up there as, as league officials gather and, uh, you know, start to the evaluation process on the new year. I was just kind of wondering what you get out of being there for the actual workouts and that kind of thing, what you are able to have access to as a media person. Well, you know, they will let you, you know, watch a few things. I think they used to wouldn't let you do anything like that. You know, it was under lock and key, you know, basically the only access you got was when they brought the players into the media room, but, uh, the real benefit to the combine is really kind of the networking that goes on. That's where you may run into this coach or that coach or this agent or this player or whatever, you know, just up there in a net in an outside setting, a lot of times outside away from what they do during the day. It's really kind of a networking atmosphere where you go and you, you gather information, you pick up, you know, you pick up things, you know, bits of information and tidbits and, you know, develop sources and things like that. Those are some of the best things that it is for a media person. Yeah. It kind of seems like uh winter meetings in a sense with a uh, major league baseball in that regard. Yeah, it really is. It's kind of like that, you know, it's operated a little bit differently, you know, at the winter meetings, obviously there's not a lot of players around that are, you know, and that sort of thing, maybe a few that are about to become free agents or whatever, making the rounds like, we saw in Nashville uh, back, uh, was it in November or December? And, uh, but yeah, it, it operates along sort of the same premise. It's, it's where you kind of, you know, gather and you catch up and uh, a lot of information is passed back and forth. I guess uh, kind of in the gossip realm, as it were, Terry, what, uh, what did you kind of glean? Or we've obviously been so focused on the coaching hire and, and the, GM kind of reshuffling what's kind of the league chatter about the state of the Titans and we'll get into that more uh, I know Mo's got a couple questions there but uh, what did you kind of maybe take away from your time in Indy in regards to other staffs and kind of what they think the Titans did in regards to their coaching and GM kind of uh, reshuffling there well it certainly sounds like you know that the Titans uh, uh, with the hire of Brian Callahan they're kind of hit the reset button basically, because, uh, you know, it's one thing to change coaches and things like that. And, you know, if it's, you know, more of the same, but this sounds like something completely different uh, on the Titans end, Uh, a departure from the way that they've operated in the past, Uh, going with, uh, you know, Brian Callahan as the head coach, Rand Carthon now in his second year as the GM starting to get a firmer grip on his responsibilities and starting to put, uh, you know, his mark on the franchise as well. So I think uh, what most people realize with the Titans is that this is a rebuild. It's a reset, but uh, they're going a completely different direction and trying it a completely different way uh, with this new regime that's in order. Terry McCormick, Titan Insider, um, bringing us his his daily Titans report powered by Zen Sports. Terry, um, the NFL Players Association um, posted, I guess, its annual report card where they grade all 32 of the teams 
in various categories based on surveys submitted by players. And let's see. The Titans received B pluses for their weight room, their strength coaches, their head coach, which is Mike Vrabel, and their ownership. But their best ranking out of 32 was for their food slash cafeteria and their nutritionist slash dietitian. They were ranked 12th in the league, and both of those categories received Bs in both of those. Um, weight room was 13th among 32 teams. Ownership was 15th among 32 teams. And nothing else. Treatment of families, locker room, training room, training staff, strength coaches, or team travel ranked in the top half of the league. Um, I don't know if you've had a chance to see this. I don't know if anybody's had a chance to react to it or if they will react to it. But is there anything in that information that jumps out at you? Well, I looked at the letter grades, you know, where and not the, the actual number where they rank, mm-hmm. you know, 12th or 20th or whatever. I looked at the letter grades and most of the letter grades were decent. You know, lots of B's and C's there. Not, you know, not exactly making the honor roll, but, you know. C's get degrees, right? Not getting grounded either. (laughs) You know, not getting grounded by mom and dad either. And uh, the one thing that did kind of look, that I looked at that kind of alarmed me was the one that said travel. They got an F. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow, I wonder what that was. Did they they book a super eight on the sketchy side of town, you know, for one of the road trips, and, you know, but I guess that could entail a lot of different things, you know, whether it's, you know, the quality of the air travel, the quality of the hotel, the handling of, you know, ticket requests for family and friends and things like that. And, you know, or maybe just even, you know, kind of the rules of the road, you know, the dress code, it, I guess it could entail a lot of different things. It really didn't seem like it was specific. But uh, with all the other marks being passable, that one kind of jumped out at me as to, well, what's going on here? Only 63% of the players feel like they have a comfortable amount of personal space during flights, which is 28th overall. And the Titans are one of only seven teams that make some of their players have roommates the night before the game. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I thought so too. I mean, I guess that could cause you to get downgraded. The other thing too with this is, in terms of the way that this kind of, you know, plays out, when you look at, uh, you know, the players that are surveyed, you know, you certainly would put more stock into the opinions of one, not only the veteran players, but you would put more stock into, say, somebody like DeAndre Hopkins, who's been with multiple teams and can compare here to what was in Houston or what was in Arizona than say Will Levis who has one year of here and nothing to compare it to or even Derrick Henry who had eight years of here and nothing to compare it to so it's really interesting to see you know how the grades would be derived and how much stock could be put into you know I'm assuming every player's opinion was weighted equally but Obviously, players who have been at multiple places and have had multiple experiences and multiple years in the league, 
you, you would think that their opinion would count for more in terms of things that are either good or things that need to be improved upon. Yeah. Unfortunately, this website, this, this spreadsheet is not real, real user friendly. So I'm not able to get to, you know, the overview of where everyone ranks as a whole. I know the Titans were 18th overall, but um, I, I don't know who was ahead of them or who was behind them necessarily. So I, I don't have that information in front of me and I'm kind of fascinated to know, you know, who, who the best team is as far as this goes, because anytime you do something like this, I think that's what you want to know is who, who is doing the most right or the most wrong. And I think we talked about the commanders earlier in the show. I, I feel pretty safe that they are certainly down there 30, 30 down, but um, yeah, it's, it's it was, interesting. It was interesting though. One of the things that I, that I looked at, you know, you, when you look, I looked at ownership mm -hmm. and three of the teams that got F's in ownership, one, your Super Bowl champion chiefs with Clark hunt. And then the other one was Michael Bidwell in Arizona. And then the Roonies in Pittsburgh, all with F's, which those are three really long time NFL ownership families, you know, not uh, some of these teams that have changed hands, you know, over the years and, have, and maybe have a, an owner with newer ideas or newer ways of doing things. These are, these are teams that are owned by families who've been involved in the league a long time and seem to do things a certain way. And you're not necessarily surprised to hear that, the Arizona Cardinals ownership was an F. No, not, no, not really. You because are, you are, you wouldn't expect it from the Steelers. Like you said, with the Roonies, but Kansas city, you know, you're Super Bowl champ, like you said, and the ownership yeah. is an F. I mean, yeah, I, I don't are, are they being one. graded a little harder because of their success <laughs> or what? That, that's um, maybe so. <laughs> That's bizarre to me. But yeah, that, that one kind of baffled me. Yeah. I, and uh, I'm pulling up a CBS report uh, where they're kind of breaking things down and a couple of nuggets, uh, Terry, that I know one will shock you, Mo, you as well. Um, this is some takeaways uh, from the report that former Raiders coach Josh McDaniels, who uh, <laughs> did obviously get fired on Halloween, uh, he ranked as the worst coach uh, in the survey. So I know that might come as a surprise to some of you uh, guys. I'm shocked, shocked and appalled by that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one other interesting uh, note that also is, is on here is that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, uh, kind of like we mentioned with the Titans, with the roommate situation, you could potentially have your own room. This is kind of based on seniority, it looks like, but you had to pay a $1,700, $1,750 opt-out to have a roommate. So to, uh, to opt out of roommates. If you have four years of service or less, you had to pay 1750 to not have a roommate. So uh, I guess that's one way to go about it. So you're basically paying for the hotel rooms for all the, uh, you're pay basically paying for an extra for whoever hotel you're kicking out of your room. Yeah. You're a little subsidization going on. And then the uh, Bengals did not provide three meals a day for players this year. However, they did dot, 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 but only on Wednesdays. So I don't know what's going on in Cincinnati on Wednesdays, but that's the day where you get three meals. I guess the rest of the time you only that's, get two. That's the only day they could get Skyline to cater. I guess so, yeah. <laughs> so That comes from CBS, uh, just for the record, NFL uh, PA report card info. 
that's that's interesting. So that's 1750 Tampa Bay found a new revenue stream. Yes, they did. Yes, they did. You know, the other thing, I guess, that maybe with the Titans getting an F in travel, you don't think they borrowed the prop plane that the Indians used in Major League, do you? <laughs> well, that would explain a lot, wouldn't it? Um, Terry, one other thing we wanted to touch on or that I wanted to touch on before we let you go. Um, I know that 31 teams are going to be knocking down the doors to trade for Zach Wilson now that the Jets have given him permission to seek a trade. Ooh. <laughs> that, that's a little rough. I'm not sure what, you know, I'm sure somebody will take a flyer on him. You know, he was the number two overall pick for a reason, I guess. But, you know, that's just one of those things where, you know, how hit and miss it is at the quarterback position where you can you can be completely sold on a guy and think that he is the right guy. And then before you know it, it's just completely wrecked. And that goes back to, you know, how you take care of and how you develop a quarterback and how you go into a situation. Most of the time, you know, when you're a quarterback that's going high in the draft, you're not going to a team that's good. I mean, let's be honest here. Caleb Williams is probably going to be a little bit more fortunate than most if, if the Bears pick him at number one. Not that the Bears are a great organization, but they got the number one pick via trade. And so there are some pieces in place. It's not just a complete overhaul going on in Chicago. He's going into a situation where it could be, you know, it should be better than what Bryce Young walked into mm -hmm. last year with the Panthers or what Zach Wilson walked into with the Jets. And, and therein is the dilemma because a lot of times the guys who turn out to be better Sometimes it's just talent, but sometimes it's the situation you're put in. Exhibit A, Jordan Love. Exactly. Yeah. Um, CBS Sports projected potential landing spots for Zach Wilson. None of these are SQB1, by the way. <laughs> I, I know you'll find that shocking also. Bills, Chiefs, Eagles, Raiders, Rams. Okay, I, I I could see that. The other thing I could see would be maybe, you know, the 49ers who had Sam Darnold as their backup, and he's he's leaving via free agency, we assume. So, you know, the best thing for Zach, the best thing that could happen to Zach Wilson probably is to go to a good team, sit and learn, and then mm -hmm. maybe get an opportunity at some point to be a starter again. Um, the Rams, particularly this, this little blurb here, few teams have embraced the QB restoration project quite like the Rams in recent years, taking in season swings on Mayfield and Wentz in successive years. While Stafford is entrenched as the starter, LA could once again, use a younger developmental option with Wentz scheduled to hit free agency. That kind of maybe makes, makes sense. sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, Seattle makes sense. Gino is what, 32, 33? Drew Locke's a free agent. You know, go there, learn, wait your turn, and see what happens. 
I, I think the key is going to be whether or not he's willing to go somewhere and wait his turn or whether he wants to go somewhere and, and actually compete because um, the Raiders, um, Aiden O'Connell is their QB1, what, a second-year guy out of Purdue, I guess. So that might be a situation where they would actually give him an opportunity to go in and, and battle for that top spot. That, that would be kind of Raider-ish. Yeah, it's certainly. Yeah, it's certainly possible. I mean, the Raiders have been known to take a reclamation project or two. You know, going all the way back to Jim Plunkett and Rich Gannon and guys like that. So, who knows? It it definitely does fit their history. So yeah, um, yeah. Thought that was interesting. Thought we'd get some thoughts from you on that, um, Terry. We appreciate it. We will check back with you tomorrow. But for now. Tell us about Zen Sports. All right. Let's talk about Zen Sports, the new sports book in Tennessee that's bringing sports betting to a whole new level, literally with their new boosted same-game parlays. When you sign up for Zen Sports, you'll automatically earn up to a $1,000 no-danger first wager. If your first bet loses, you'll be reimbursed for the amount of your bet up to $1,000. And now Zen Sports is offering 10 Boosted same-game parlays for NBA and NHL every single day. That's 10 bets, each with a 10% boost, and you can bet on every single one of them. And there's even more good news. Zen Sports offers a -a one-of-a-kind VIP rewards program. If you qualify, you'll earn monthly comps at sporting events, concerts, you name it, even sportsbook bonuses. The VIP program is by invite only, so if you feel that your Zen Sports play qualifies for VIP consideration, check out the program details and apply it zensports.com slash VIP. So what are you waiting for? The daily same game parlay boosts go quick. So get going and download their app at zensports.com today. Zen Sports, betting just got better. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-889-9789. Terms and conditions apply. No danger of first wager. Limited to plus 500 odds to qualify. Boosted odds are derived from equivalent parlay bets offered in Tennessee. Must be 21 and older and in Tennessee to bet. Welcome to Protein Snack Shop, your destination for healthy and delicious low-carb snacks. Our specialty lies in providing protein-packed desserts that are perfect for those following a keto diet. Our products are made with high-quality ingredients, ensuring that you can satisfy your cravings without compromising your health goals. From a variety of flavors and options to choose from, you can enjoy guilt-free snacking while staying on track with your fitness journey. Don't miss out on our limited time offer. Discover Protein Snack Shop today. I'm Maurice Patton, and on Main Street Sports Today, we bring you the voices of your favorite teams from preps to pros. Um, otherwise known as the VOT, Mike Keith. The, the bottom line is, we can teach Will Levis woke. I just don't know who's going to work with you on your base stealing now that he lies. <laughs> well, that has nowhere to go but up. And I was just like, oh, guys, not again. Can we just bury that, burn that footage, and not bring it back? <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Uh, we'll uh, we'll keep it going past the All-Star break. And uh, looking forward to seeing how the rest of the season plays out. There's always a good story to tell. Can you guess where I am today, Mo? Where, where am I? It's, it's Reece not Reece Smith Field. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. Because anytime you play Chicago, you want to win. That's just you got that right, and <laughs> it's be, it's be a buzz.
you're walking the dog, you keep the bags that you need for the dog in the bag, and you don't even have to wear it. You can just hold it, which is what I do when I walk the dog. So I think I think the fanny pack probably needed a little rebranding. <laughs> it did. So, it really um, did. It, <laughs> on your show logo, we've got to get a puck in there. There's a basketball. There's a football. Oh. There's a baseball. Maybe mm-hmm. it's not a puck. How about Mo brandishes a hockey stick? Tune in daily at 2 p.m. on Main Street Media TV. Welcome back to Wild and Wacky Wednesday here on Main Street Sports Today, presented by Tennessee Orthopedic Alliance of Columbia. That's Wade Neely on the right. I'm Maurice Patton on the left. And we are coming to you from the Lee Company studios of our respective abodes as we continue here on Wednesday. And before we get to Joe Sullivan to talk local hoops, Wade, you and I were remiss tonight at Geotis Park, right? Every, uh, everybody, mean, everybody in as the Nashville Soccer Club plays its return game in the CONCACAF Champions Cup against Mocha FC of the dr um i got a little mocha right here but i'm hoping uh that's the only mocha that has success tonight yeah you that's mocha with an h though this is mocha with a c out of the dominican republic and the um nashville soccer club went down there last week picked up a three nothing win so um they are they are kind of playing with house money in terms of the champions cup what is the next thing for them after this round wait so uh, real quickly, we're set up, uh, barring an epic collapse tonight, basically going into tonight's match. They're up three goals to none. Mm-hmm. They would have to have a gargantuan defeat tonight to uh, to really get eliminated. And if they win this round, they're looking at a sec- a next round matchup versus Inter Messi, as uh, Belair <laughs> coined them last week. And so... Uh, they're kind of cruising into that next round. Obviously going to take care of business tonight. I got to go to the match Sunday versus the Red Bulls. And even though they were down a couple players, offense was not really up to snuff in the first half whatsoever. They had a couple great chances in the second half to maybe uh, snag a win right at the end. I think they're setting up okay. And uh, tonight will be kind of a a match where you don't necessarily trot out. Valera kind of hinted as much last week. Mm-hmm. You're not going to see their best 11 probably tonight because you want to get some extra rest because it will be a long season. But, yeah, they would get Inter Miami in the next round of the CONCACAF Cup. When would that be? Uh, I knew you were going to ask me that. And so the <laughs> dates on that uh, st- stand tight because they're coming up mm-hmm. sooner than later. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll get you that in just one second. Here. I'm nothing if not predictable. <laughs> All right, so next round matchups, round of 16. Uh, looks like those would be held. Uh, first leg would be March 5th through the 7th, and I believe Miami would be the first leg. Uh, actually, I'll take that back. Nashville probably would be the first leg, so they probably would be at home March 5th through the 7th, and then the next week, the 12th okay. through the 14th, they would be uh, at, at Miami. Miami. Yeah, if I'm reading that correctly, because usually the way it's set up is the higher-ranked team gets to be at home last, because that's usually uh, that makes the sense. match that really kind of determines things. You know, if yeah. you go on the road okay. first, and that's why getting that three-goal win on the road was so huge, because they're basically three goals up going into tonight. And obviously, uh, with all due respect to the to the boys from the Dominican Republic there, uh, Nashville should take care of business tonight, especially 
playing at home with a three-goal lead. Okay, so you would expect Inter Messi at Giotis probably next Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday then, basically. Yep, I think so. And it's very interesting. It kind of some chatter uh, on social media about this. It's kind of an interesting concept to, in terms of promotion, right? Because to the to the lay person or the casual fan, it I mean, even to kind of a soccer fan, it can be really confusing. Hey, what are we doing playing Miami? I thought this was the MLS. Well, no, it's not MLS. It's this. Okay, well, why we were told, you know, games are only going to be on, you know, Thursday and Saturday type situation or Thursday, Saturday, Sunday. So it is a little confusing. And some of the branding has kind of been, I'm not going to say botched, but hasn't been the greatest. But if I'm reading the schedule correctly, yeah, Nashville would likely host uh, Intermessi March 5th through the 7th. They probably will set that date. Uh, I bet tomorrow by this time we actually would know exactly when those two matches will take place. Okay. Hopefully we can get Valera on between now and then to discuss that a little bit more. He has been a wealth of knowledge for us on the Nashville Soccer Club front and really enjoy having him on. Speaking of wealth of knowledge mtsu aside we bring in <laughs> joe sullivan of nashvillehoops.blog talking a little local hoops and um joe i'm really glad you're a good sport man because i know i've been giving you hell every time mtsu wins which was <laughs> every time they win it's unexpected so i gotta celebrate it so i've been screenshotting results and sending them to joe and um you know we we talked with Chip Walters, the Blue Raider voice, yesterday on these very same airwaves, and yeah, middle right in the thick of things in the Conference USA standings. Now, I mean, they're not going to make a run for the top spot, but um, right now they're in that four or five spot for the uh, for the tournament if if the season ended today, which obviously it doesn't. Had that happen, uh, it it was uh, and Mo, I, I I take what I deserve. Uh, it, <laughs> it, uh, it's uh, it's I, I've told this to many people over the years. I'm the youngest of five brothers, so I, I can take anything. Bring it on. OK, I'll, uh, I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> it, it's been done to me, whatever. <laughs> it's, uh, uh, but yeah, Middle Tennessee has uh, put together four of their last five. I believe that's correct. And it, it's it's really unexpected to me. Uh, that being said, they go on the road to uh, uh, Sam Houston, who's tied for first. On Saturday, they don't play a midweek game this week, mm -hmm. and then they uh, finish up with the home games against a home game against Liberty, and then they have to go to Louisiana Tech, which is the other first place team. Mm -hmm. So, I uh, uh, one and two might be the best thing you can hope hope mm -hmm. for going home here in the last three. But uh, what's changed for uh, the one thing that's pretty obvious, I think, that's changed for Middle Tennessee is the play of their uh, junior center, uh, Jared Coleman Jones, who mm -hmm. uh, I think. It, I don't know if we actually said this on this show, but certainly that thought was there among Middle Tennessee fans that Chris Luft, the, the freshman who seems to have potential, was going to move ahead of him uh, as as the, as the center this season. And uh, uh, Coleman Jones has uh, obviously established himself as uh, one of the better players on the team now. I mean, the last five games, which they've won four of them, he's averaging 16 points a game and 10 rebounds. He's averaging a double-double. And this has been a uh, uh, late emergence in this season, but sometimes that happens, guys. What you know, the light bulb goes on, and uh, it this may be uh, this may be good for the future for uh, for Middle Tennessee. Let's hope well, he keeps up. 
Absolutely. And, and you know, we talked about the injuries early on, and maybe it's just taken middle this long to figure out how to play without some of the folks that they're without but they yeah um, that could that is another good good point and and they are actually finally shooting the ball better which they were atrocious mm-hmm. for a long time and the last time we checked uh you need to score more points than the other team and so it's important to be able to shoot well well it's important to be, yeah. it's important to be able to shoot well it's also important to be able to get shots off which if you're turning it over 20 something times a game you're not yes. they've improved that as well Yes, they have. And yeah, the, that UTEP, those two UTEP, UTEP games were the worst examples where they had a combined 52 turnovers in uh, two games, which is just unimaginable. Yeah. Now, now, as Chip did point out to us, I guess a couple of weeks ago now, UTEP is one of the top teams in the nation in terms of forcing turnovers. They are. So, That's absolutely, Chip is right. I wouldn't, I wouldn't question so, Chip. So there's a little egg chicken conundrum there. Was Middle turning it over more because of UTEP or – was UTEP able to force more turnovers because MTSU's got loose handles? It's hard to yeah. say, but at any the combination, rate, as yeah. usually the combination of the two, right? Yeah, typically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but again, like you said, they um they go to Sam Houston this weekend, and that's a big one. Um, it'll be yeah. So they 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 lost, Sam Houston beat them in the in the glass house earlier this season. I think it was a nine point game. Uh, so it was competitive, but. Uh, uh, I think Sam Houston is playing very well right now. Uh, it would be – here I go again. Mo, you can't wait to send me the final <laughs> score when this happens. When <laughs> when MTSU wins Saturday night, I'll, I'll expect a text message from you. <laughs> Most likely. Most likely. Um, are you going to Murray tonight? I'm not going to Murray. I'm going to go to Lipscomb tonight. I haven't seen the uh, Bisons a little bit, so looking forward to that. They play in Bellarmine, which is a uh, – uh, a game they should win at home. I mean, Bell, I was looking this up to, to coming on here. Bellarmine's a two and ten on the road this season. They're in last place. Uh, this really should be a win for Lipscomb tonight. Uh, that's that's got to be kind of tough for Bellarmine because weren't they the team that couldn't get yeah, the AQ last year and would have yeah, would have won the conference? That's actually that's actually two seasons ago. I think Is it's it? okay. uh, last year. The uh, the the argument against AQ was a school called Merrimack, which I'm familiar with because it's right outside of Boston. And they won the Northeast Conference regular season and tournament title and couldn't go because they were still transitioning. And, uh, of course, they were replaced by FDU, who then beat Purdue at 16 and 1. So it's, uh, had, you know, it's, so Merrimack, by the way, is, uh, I mean, this is neither here nor there for our audience, I guess. They're eligible and they are leading the Northeast Conference again. So we could finally see Merrimack uh, in the NCAA tournament, Maybe, probably in the first four. Uh, which I will be attending again. So I'm, I'm, I hope they're there. That'd be fun. I've been, I've been seeing Mary Mack on the uh, bracketology lingering at the bottom of the uh, polls this year, Joe. So I'm, I'm loosely familiar, I guess. That's about the extent of my knowledge, though. Yeah. So that's so, uh, that's that's Mary Mack, yeah. not to be confused with Mel Mack, <laughs> which is where Alf was from, right? <laughs> just just want to just want just want to clarify just want to clarify that for folks. So, uh, Merrimack is a very large river in Massachusetts heading to the sea. And uh, that's that's where that comes from. It's and, it, and it's a whole sort of section of, of uh, northern Massachusetts above. You would call it the Merrimack Valley up there. So it's uh, there's a lot of people up there who know all about this. Okay. All right. 
good good New England knowledge coming from Joe <laughs> Sullivan, and and we're going to get hey, to hey Mo Mo, you were talking. What about UMass? Are you going to? Am I getting? I'm getting ahead of myself. Slightly, but that's okay. Right, no, no, right. no, no. Talk about that because I, we were going to come to that UMAC, uh, UMass going to the going back to the Mac. Yeah. Um, and you you had some thoughts on that. I sure do. So this look, we can all agree that college sports is soul it sold its soul for college football, right? For football. We agree. No one's mm-hmm. gonna argue me with, with that. They'll do anything for, for money for college football. So football ruins everything. Even though we love the games and we love the what surrounds the games, yes, that's true. But in general, football has ruined a lot of things in college sports. And so UMass uh, is involved in they, they play football. You may you may or may not know, and they are like a dog chasing their tail, uh, trying to somehow uh, get good in football, relevant in football. And now they decide they're going to join the MAC so they can uh, somehow be eligible to play in the Motor City Bowl on the day after Christmas, uh, as if anyone's going to care about that, or maybe. Maybe they'll get really good. They can go to the Boca Raton Bowl, and uh, everyone will be excited about that. And it can cost the school an extra half a million dollars to play in a stupid bowl like that. This is just, it, to me, I, I just like the idea that basketball is being ruined by these uh, ideas that football is important to a school like Massachusetts. It's just not. Uh, they're never going to succeed in football. Uh, they did at the at the when at the old one double A level the mm-hmm. F, FCS right right that you know they won a national championship in FCS and that probably fueled a lot of these thoughts. Uh, in the fact, they won the game was played as I recall in Chattanooga when they won, uh, and uh, so that. But why schools like Massachusetts are uh, chasing football when they should be investing in other sports? where they really could succeed. You know, they invested money in hockey. They won the, uh, the men's hockey national championship uh, within the last five years, maybe two years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, they should be investing in men's and women's basketball, men's and women hockey, lacrosse. They're, they're good. They could be a good lacrosse school because Massachusetts is a fertile recruiting ground. There's so many other ways to spend the money there where they would be successful and would do good things for that school. And the idea to just chase football it just aggravates the hell out of me, Mo. Aside from football, and and you have some knowledge of that area, obviously having been in Boston for the entirety of your professional career, what would be the fit for them conference-wise? Mm. Oh, it, and so I, you know, they would love to be in the American okay. uh, for for football and all sports. I think that would. Uh, that would certainly be better than the MAC. I don't. So by leaving the Atlantic Ten for the MAC, they're downgrading in basketball. Mm-hmm. Frank Martin, who's the coach there now, he used to coach South Carolina, mm-hmm. Kansas State. Uh, I, I can't believe he'd be happy with what's happening here. That he's uh, so. Uh, you don't think he wants to go beat up on Eastern Michigan and Central Michigan I, and Kent State and I don't. Bunch? I don't. I mean, what is what is look? This is a we could talk about this for for a long time and really get to go down a rabbit hole, but uh, the Atlantic Ten at at one time was a multi-bid league, mm-hmm. and it's no longer that. And I don't and I I, I don't know if it's ever going to be again. So that's one of the reasons for Massachusetts to stay would be if there were multiple NCAA bids to the men's tournament. That hasn't happened in the last few years. Do you know the year that the Big East? split from the football schools and became the basketball league it is now 
They got five NCAA bids. The Atlantic 10 got six. Uh, and the Atlantic 10 was very much, uh, they were not the equal. That was just a, like an oddball situation. Mm-hmm. But they were certainly weren't far behind the Big East as a basketball league. And now they're very far behind. And, you know, there's a lot of reasons for that that would probably really slow this show down. Well, and Joe, you mentioned it. Uh, that that was personally one of my favorite tournaments to watch uh, every year is the A10 tournament, and you know I can just say, just for me personally, it's it's certainly diminished. That used to be almost appointment TV for me during that crazy conference championship bonanza that we get every year, and I loved watching that one. And now it's it's kind of slipped off my radar entirely, outside of maybe the semifinals and then the championship game. Perfectly understandable. They've gone from a you know three, four, five bid league to a one bid league, and uh, I'm not sure how they're going to get back because now I am going to talk about it. How can you get games to improve your ratings if these uh, the major conferences are playing 20, 22 game conference mm. schedules? This then then those ratings just become sort of closed to everyone else. They're only they're only playing each other, so their ratings improve when they beat these other teams within their leagues and are not playing anyone else. It's like a rigged, it's a rigged game with these. And these these conferences are just playing, they're too big and they're playing too many conference games. And of course we know why the conferences are too big. Don't we Mo? (laughs) Football. Football. (laughs) Well, and Joe, you made a, and Joe, you made a point uh, on the show either last week or two weeks ago. We, We kind of have even seen a little bit of this, even in basketball specific leagues, where you're kind of losing your natural rivalries in terms of, you know, uh, like an Austin P Murray state, you know, and Belmont and and Lipscomb. And it seems like even though that's basketball specific, obviously when you throw in the schools that are uh, participating in big time college football as well, that's even more splintered now. Now, I I don't know if I told this story on here, Mo, so stop me if I'm a dementia patient, but uh, (laughs) it is about the Brigham Young, Utah rivalry. Did I I talk about this? Mm -mm. So uh, there was a sports editors convention in, in uh, Salt Lake City, and it was right then that Utah announced it was leaving for the uh, Pac-12, or it was just the Pac-10, then it became the Pac-12. And we had a, a, a session where the, the football coach from Utah and Brigham Young were there on a panel. And I got up and I asked him a question. Utah is leaving your league now, Brigham Young. This is a great rivalry, Brigham Young and Utah. Will you both swear right now that you're going to keep playing each other? And they wouldn't do it. And, and, you know, of course, they stopped playing. Uh, Now they will play again because they're both in the Big 12. Holy mackerel. Who would have thought that, right? Go figure. Joe Sullivan of NashvilleHoops.blog joining us here on Main Street Sports today, presented by Tennessee Orthopedic Alliance of Columbia, as he does every Wednesday. Um, Joe, you're going to Lipscomb-Bellarmine. We've also got Belmont-Murray State tonight. between now and when we see you again, what's a game, what's a team that you are keeping an eye on or looking forward to? So locally, I mean, I, I think uh, I would say it's it's Lipscomb because they have the best chance to do something here. Uh, they could win their last two games. They're playing Eastern Kentucky Friday night, which is the league leader in the Atlantic Sun. However, if Eastern Kentucky beats Austin P tonight, they will have clinched everything. They'll essentially have nothing to play for on Friday night. Uh, so two wins by Lipscomb, two losses by Stetson would move Lipscomb into second place. And in the Atlantic Sun, the home team, uh, the uh, higher-seeded team is the home team 
mm. in uh, in their tournament. They play all home courts, so that'd be great for Lipscomb. They'd be home at least through the semifinals if they could get past Stetson. They got to win. They got to win those two games. So and they're still going to have to beat Eastern Kentucky at some point, most likely, probably up in Richmond. And uh, it'd be nice if they could prove it to themselves that they could beat them on a Friday night. And that would be to me to be the most interesting game uh, locally here uh, coming up. That you would it would be Eastern Kentucky at Lipscomb on Friday night. Unusual Friday night. The Atlantic Suns ending on Friday their season because their tournament starts Monday. Wow. TSU has put themselves in a tough spot, haven't they? They have. It's uh, you know when you look at the standings and uh, a team like Little Rock, which they beat quite easily back in December, is now tied for first place. Uh, if Tennessee, if Tennessee State had been able to like beat Tennessee Tech, for instance, which they didn't recently, they might be involved in this chase for first place because Moorhead State is now has four league losses. I never thought that was going to happen. Moorhead State, maybe they peak too soon, uh, but they definitely have come back down to earth in that league. It's a three-way tie for first with Little Rock, uh, Moorhead, and UT Martin. Uh, uh, and those are Tennessee State's last two opponents on the road. Little Rock, which has won seven in a row. UT Martin, which has won five in a row. So it's going to be tough for the Tigers to uh, finish the season on an up note. They're looking like the, they'll be in the seat at five, six, or seven in the OVC tournament, and they'll probably play next Wednesday night in Evansville. That'll be their next They'll be their next games. And it's going to be hard to come out of that and, and certainly win it. I'd be surprised. Mm-hmm. Plus, right. Christian Brown, their, their leading scorer, hasn't been playing full games. His feet are hurting again, so it's it's not good. Okay. All right. If you want to know more about local hoops at the collegiate level, be sure and check out NashvilleHoops.blog. Joe Sullivan, Joey Dwyer, those guys doing a great job keeping you up with everything that's going on right around here close to home. And Thank um, you, Mo. Joe, we appreciate it, and we will see you next Wednesday. Thanks for having me, guys. All Thanks, right. Joe. When we come back – Wild and Wacky Wednesday, the wildest and wackiest stories from across the globe right here on Main Street Sports Today, presented by Tennessee Orthopedic Alliance of Columbia. Stay tuned. I'm Maurice Patton, and on Main Street Sports Today, we bring you the voices of your favorite teams from preps to pros. Um, otherwise known as the VOT, Mike Keith. The, the bottom line is we can teach Will Levis woke. I just don't know who's going to work with you on your base stealing now that he lies. <laughs> well, that has nowhere to go but up. And I was just like, oh, guys, not again. Can we just bury that, burn that footage, and not bring it back? <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Uh, We'll, uh, we'll keep it going past the All-Star break and uh, looking forward to seeing how the rest of the season plays out. There's always a good story to tell. Can you guess where I am today, Mo? Where, where am I? It's, it's Reece not Smith Reece Smith Fear, is it? Yeah. Yeah. Anytime you play Chicago, you want to win. That's you, just... You got that right. And that's <laughs> be, be a buzz. You know, when you're walking the dog, you keep the bags that you need for the dog in the bag and you don't even have to wear it you can just hold it which is what i do when i walk the dog so i think i think the fanny pack probably needed a little rebranding <laughs> it did so, it really did um, it, it, on your show logo we've got to get a puck in there there's a basketball there's a football, oh. there's a baseball maybe mm-hmm. it's not a puck 
How about Mo brandishes a hockey stick? Tune in daily at 2 p.m. on Main Street Media TV. Final segment of the day here on Wild and Wacky Wednesday, and we're going out with a bang. The wildest and wackiest stories from across the world right here on Main Street Sports Today, presented by Tennessee Orthopedic Alliance of Columbia. Wade, lead it off. Ooh, wee, ooh, wee. I got three good ones, uh, and really, I'm kind of over here uh, putting my fingers together. But how about this, Mo? Let's talk about the Guinness Book of World Records. You know, I grew up as a kid. I love looking at the Guinness Book of World Records. I, you know, I like uh, reading stories about these things. But here's the story. Uh, the Guinness Book of World Records has stripped a record from the, quote, oldest dog whose owners claimed that he was 31. Now, this comes from Lisbon, Portugal, and a Portuguese dog uh, that died last year, so that is an unfortunate part of the story, but uh, mm-hmm. it claimed the title of oldest dog ever, 31 years old. And uh, Bobby, who is, uh, they show a picture here on this uh, Huffington Post article I'm reading, mm-hmm. uh, cute looking dog and mm-hmm. reportedly 31 years old. And Mo, I don't know how, well, I'm just going to go ahead and say this, I don't know how old this picture is, but if it's at all recent, then yeah, they, they might have a case to strip the title <laughs> because this dog doesn't look... Uh, 31 said to have been born on May 11th, 1992. He did die last October and, uh, the group has now suspended his title as oldest dog ever after they have reviewed and, uh, basically determined that the owners lied. How do you lie about, uh, your dog being too old just to get in the Guinness book of world records? Come on, man. That's, that's, that's tough. I mean, he was a purebred Rafiero do Alentejo, sure, a breed that has an average life expectancy of about 10 to 14 years. So he lived at least double his life expectancy, according to their claim. Maybe triple. I mean, I'm not a, you know, I want to give the, the dog the benefit of the doubt, but I mean... Double the life expectancy? That's double. At least double. Yeah. Um, he's a cutie though. Yeah, good looking yeah. dog. But like I said, if that yeah, and so here's another picture, and this is from uh July of last year, just before he passed. That dog does not look 31, I will admit. No, uh, I, I I don't know what a 31-year-old dog looks like though, wait. So not, I mean, yeah, not, not that I would, but I feel like I would know it if I saw it, and that does not look like a 31-year-old dog. Yeah, yeah, uh, man. That's rough. That's that's unfortunate. It's unfortunate that if if they are actually lying, that's that's unfortunate. And mm-hmm. if they're not, it's that's just a tough deal all the way around, man. That's that's craziness. Um other wild and wacky news. Man gets free five year hotel via loophole, then claims to own the building. A man who's su- finesse. Yeah, no doubt. That's a that's a flex for real. A man who succeeded in using a New York City housing law to live rent free in an iconic hotel has been charged with fraud after he claimed to own it. So he was squatting and then just decided that he 
on the whole building instead of just the the room that he was in. Um, managed to live rent-free in a landmark Manhattan hotel by exploiting an obscure local housing law. Prosecutors said Mickey Barreto went too far when he filed paperwork claiming ownership of the entire New Yorker hotel building and tried to charge another tenant rent. Um, mm. Arrested and charged with filing false property reports. Um, latest chapter in a years-long legal saga that began when he and his boyfriend paid about $200 to rent one of the more than 1,000 rooms in the towering Art Deco structure built in 1930. Apparently, there is a loophole that allows occupants of single rooms in buildings constructed before 1969 to demand a six-month lease. Because mm -hmm. he had paid for a night in the hotel, he counted as a tenant, he claimed. As for a lease, the hotel kicked him out, went to court the next day. The judge denied it, appealed to the state Supreme Court, and won the appeal. Of course, that, that win probably helped by the fact that lawyers for the building's owners didn't show up, thus the win. So, yeah, um, I love a good finesse, but uh, that is that's that's taking it a little too far. Well, the finesse is fine, but then you get greedy. Yeah, yeah, and and that's that's typically when you get caught when you when you get greedy. So, um, Barreto is is now out of the Manhattan, and um. Not sure where he is living, but he doesn't live there anymore. So five years rent free in New York. I mean, that guy's basically should be a millionaire. At this oh point. goodness gracious! Uh, I hope he was saving that money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What else you got, Wade? Hey, Mo. Speaking of, uh, you mentioned it was a couple involved in the last story. Well, how about another uh, couple story here? A Florida groomsman. It's always a good Florida story to be had. Florida groomsman attacks wedding guests, including the bride. Uh, you know, think weird things happen at weddings, uh, and weird things happen in Florida. Uh, but according to uh, an article on 987 The Shark, who is also now referencing the smoking gun, says that Ronte Stokes, age 45, attended the wedding of his sister Anita Brooks in Largo, Florida. Uh, not quite a family of a nice family affair. Uh, <laughs> As report, he got into a, uh, quote, got into a verbal altercation with the bride, reportedly struck her, and then became physically aggressive. Afterwards, he was escorted out of the wedding. Uh, makes sense. Where he struck several other people on the way out. Uh, other people included, other people he attacked included his 65-year-old mother, a niece, brother-in-law, and a bridesmaid. Uh, I know this will shock you and our uh, <laughs> listeners, but... Alcohol was believed to have played a factor in, in the incident as uh, Mr. Uh, Ronte Stokes, he went out in a blaze of glory. You know, they talk about, you know, obje objecting to the wedding. Uh, he objected to some, something. Yeah, and he took uh, offense to something as he basically, anybody he could get his hands on and anybody that was in his sights, he just uh, kind of went after. And so, um, Wade, I'm... I'm reminded of the scene from Head of State with um, Chris Rock and Bernie Mac. Unfamiliar, Bernie but, Mac, but go on. 
where Bernie Mac is getting off the train and slaps like three or four folks just unbeknownst to them just before he um before Chris Rock greets him and I think he slapped him too but yeah he just <laughs> Mitch Chris's cousin in the show was Bernie Mac yeah it, it's it's classic um Mr. Stokes was booked on five battery counts and a misdemeanor criminal mischief charge for allegedly throwing a long chair into a glass door as he was being removed from the wedding. Um, Stokes is reportedly an ex-con, which upgraded those battery counts to felonies, by the way. Mm. So, so he's, um, Mr. Stokes has got some, some legal issues here. Yeah, and like like we've said, you know, there there are always some crazy wedding stories, but I mean, this guy goes off the deep end. And when you attack the, I mean, it's supposed to be the bride's big day, is it not? I mean, come on, he's attacking the bride here. She she was he, showing up he, he for holy his matrimony. Mother. Attacked his own mom. She was showing up for holy matrimony, and instead uh, this, was having to defend they, herself. Yeah, that's not what they came for, by any rate. Um, a case was wrapped up in New York involving a New York City man who admitted to smuggling three Burmese pythons in his pants through a U.S.-Canadian oh border. Calvin Bautista crossed into northern New York with the hidden snakes on a bus from Montreal to New York City. The young adult snakes were hidden in the inner thigh of his pants and snake bags tied to the pants drawstring. He was sentenced to a year of probation and fined $5,000. That's about $1,600 per snake. Mm. Why? <laughs> no, I don't want any part. I don't want anything to do with this story. No, I'm, I, I guarantee mm. you, you're you're not gonna find. Well, anyway, no, <laughs> no. Let me let me stop. That's that's not gonna happen. Yeah, uh, we're not doing that. The Bur the Burmese python. We're not smuggling snakes. If I see another snake, <laughs> yeah, stop it, yeah, stop it. On the on the inner thigh, on this way. bus, yeah, on this bus. Mm -hmm. Excuse me, sir, is that a, a Burmese python? Are you happy to see me? Yeah, no, no, that's um, ooh, that is crazy. We we've got our producer Mark. Uh, he's he's snakes on a bus. Yep, the he's, sequel. He... Yeah. <laughs> Where where is Samuel L. Jackson when you need him? Seriously, that's um. Wade, seeing nothing else, I think that's about all the damage we can do here on Wild and Wacky Wednesday. Come back next Wednesday for some of the wildest and wackiest stories that Wade and I are able to come up with, and we will share them with you come back tomorrow here on main street sports today presented by tennessee orthopedic Alliance throwback thursday of columbia yes it's throwback thursday we will have vol state basketball coach johnny lynn visiting with us on coach's corner we will have jerry palm talking a little bracketology and our throwback thursday segment will feature matt brown's interview from last week so again come back here two o'clock tomorrow Main Street Sports Today, presented by Tennessee Orthopedic Alliance of Columbia. 
We will be in the Lee Company studios. Not sure where, not sure who. Check with us.